Hello, everybody. Good to see you here in the room as well as everybody online, uh, wherever you are. Or if you're podcasting this later or watching this later on YouTube or something, we're really glad that you joined us. We're going to get to our series. Let me get tell you what's coming up. So next week, we'll finish out our series. And I know it's going to be awesome because I'm not the one preaching it. Uh, Ryan is. And uh, that'll be great. He always does such an incredible job. And every week is designed to be an invitational opportunity around here. But uh, and most of us came because of that, right? Because somebody invited us and it, you know, an invitation can change the course of somebody's life. And that's certainly true at Christmas. And I know your host or campus pastor, whichever campus you're at right now, has probably mentioned this already. But I'll just second it. That as we get into Christmas, let me encourage you to be to prayerfully, to be thinking about that, doing your invitations now of who you're going to invite to sit with you. And if you're online, you can also extend invitations. So you can either invite people to hang out wherever you are online and, uh, and to say, hey, come watch this with us as families or or singles or whatever. Um, or you could also send the link and say, hey, this would, I think it would be really great. And Because a lot of people just don't know what to do if you're not churched. Uh, and it's the one time of the year, the most significant time of the year, where people are actually open to going church or watching something or something like that. So uh, it, it'll be great. I'm looking forward to it. But today, I'm also looking forward to, as we talk about, um, as we continue our series, Loved Beyond Reason. And as I was thinking about it, um, you know, God is our father. He loves us. And it made me think about me being a dad and the privilege we've had to raise uh, two boys who are now adults and one of them raising our grandchildren. And, and as parents, it's, it, it, or it, and even if you're not a parent, you can relate to this if you're an aunt or an uncle or, or somehow have a kid in your life, is that raising kids or helping raise kids is, it really is a kick in the pants in a good way. It's a good, I mean, it's just... Fun thing, sometimes hard, but an incredible opportunity. But sometimes, even with that incredible opportunity, you have to do things as a parent, if you love your child, that you really don't want to do, but you do because it's best for your kids. And as I was thinking about that, I thought all the way back to the beginning of my parenting life when Colin, our oldest, was just a baby, like just months old, weeks old. And we were in Huntsville, Alabama at the time, where Christine and I both grew up with our families. And we went to my pediatrician for a checkup, took Colin, you know, little baby Colin, to check up to the pediatrician I had when I grew up, was still practicing. And he was an amazing guy. He was, you know who Mr. Rogers is, if you saw the Tom Hanks movie, or maybe you grew up with Mr. Rogers. But Mr. Rogers is like the nicest person on the planet um, when he was around, and it was like if Mr. Rogers had become a doctor, that's Dr. Miles. He was just this incredible, encouraging guy. And, and so we go to Dr. Miles, and we're there, and Colin, you could tell, could tell, this is an awesome guy, right? And so I'm holding him, and if you think about it, up to that point in Colin's life, just months old, every adult in his life, everybody that he encountered in his life, seemed 100% committed to him being happy. Right? That's all they did. Like, everybody he met was like, oh, look at you, you're so cute, you know, and all that. And then, and they fed, you know, they were fed him and, you know, did away with his poopy diapers, made him more comfortable, put him to bed. Did I mean, everybody in his life was committed, 100% committed to making his life awesome. And I'm sure his little baby, I mean, that's the way it should be. And he's probably thinking, yeah, that's the way it should be. You know, life's good. But we're at the doctor. 
And one of the things that happens at that point at the doctor is shots. And I remember that moment of holding him. I was holding him and Christy's right there. His mom's there. The new doctor that seems so nice is there. Colin's just so happy, right? And then the doctor comes and he's got the syringe with the needle. And of course, a little baby, they don't know what that is. It's like, oh, fun, you know, cool, whatever, you know. And then, and then it goes, well, it didn't go, but it, you know how it goes in. <laughs> but um, I don't know if it made a noise, but it went in his leg, you know. And, and I'll never forget that moment because this little guy who's only known good things from me and his mom and other adults in his life. All of a sudden, somebody comes and hurts him, and I'm holding him, and, he, and, he, and there's this little pause, like this shock. You can tell, like, what's going on? Like, his whole world is undone, right? This is not the way it's supposed to be. And he's looking at me, and he's looking at Christy, not just with pain, but a look of betrayal. Like, how could you let this horrible person do this, and what's going on? And as a parent, I hated it as he's crying because there's no way to explain that to him. There's no way to say, no, we're doing this because we love you and it's better and we don't want you to get sick and all this stuff. But there's no way he could understand that if we tried. And we're in the series, Love Beyond Reason, where we've been looking at the fact that you and I are loved by God in an irrational, unconditional, over-the-top way. The prayer that gave birth to this series, that was kind of the point of this series, we looked at it last week, Ephesians 3, where Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And he says, just as he would pray for you and me, and I pray for you and me, is that God would, with his almighty power, give us the power to begin to grasp how high and wide and deep and long is his love for us. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that we would know how deeply we're loved. But if God loves us that much, if God loves us that radically, what we're asking today is, then why... Does he often let life hurt? If God loves me so much, right, then why didn't he just answer all my prayers? Why didn't he just make my life comfortable? Like, why isn't he committed to making my life awesome and comfortable and easy? Because struggle, sometimes deep struggle, makes us ask really big questions, of course. God, why? Why are you allowing this? Why don't you just change this? Why don't you just fix this? If you love me, why do you let it hurt? Now, we're going to look at that today, not comprehensively. Really, today is not talking about why is there suffering in the world. That's another sermon. You and I live in a fallen world because of sin. One day, Jesus will come and he will fix it. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more suffering and pain and sickness and all that that happens. The Bible lets us know that we're not shielded from it. As the Bible says, one place, it rains on the just and the unjust. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad or what. It doesn't matter if you follow God or not. We all experience the pain and suffering that comes by living in a world like this. And and God redeems it. He's with us, all that. That's another sermon, though. I started to preach it. I can't. Um, But today we're looking a little more specifically at times where God will allow us to struggle with something in particular that is discouraging and chronic and ongoing and debilitating and makes us weak. And we just want God to take it away. And sometimes he will, but sometimes he won't. And the sometimes he won't is because he loves us enough not to. Because there is something that he wants more for us than just being comfortable. There's something he wants more for us than just life is good. 
that can only be found in the struggle, in the weakness. And some of you right now are struggling with something, whether it's a, a sickness or a mental, you know, emotional struggle or a relational struggle or something. And you're like, God, why? If you love me, why? And today we're going to get some hope and we're going to get some perspective and a sense of purpose. As Paul in the New Testament talks about it. And, and Paul was a person who knew suffering in, in the big sense. I mean, he, he did not have an easy life. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, this is where we'll be today, he talks to that church and he's, he lets them know. And just before our passage where he talks about this persistent, ongoing struggle that he calls a thorn in the flesh... He talks about, he just enumerates his suffering. And, and he talks about how, you know, some of the suffering is just from life in a fallen world and things that happen and, and all that. And he, he lays some of that out. But then he, and, and he seems actually okay with that. It wasn't easy, but he, he gets it. Life is hard in a fallen world. And, you know, and then he talks about persecution and how he was in prison many times and, Tortured and beaten and mistreated in prison and to just, you know, in persecution for his faith. And he seems okay with that. I mean, the stuff he lays out would be like, I don't think I would be okay with it, but he's okay with it. But what he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, what he calls a thorn in the flesh, he's really not okay with. At least at the beginning of the story. And it, this is the thing he cries out to God. God, why? Just take this away from me. And let's read the passage. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, we'll explain that, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, something that Satan used to discourage him, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded, prayed, pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, essentially, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is profound sense of perspective. So let's unpack it. He starts out talking about, hey, God didn't want me to be conceited and self-reliant and get a big head because of these revelations that he had. And what is that? Well, Paul had a lot of revelations from God. Most of the New Testament theology that we have in his letters was revealed to him by God. I mean, the whole new covenant and the new, new, under, the new way of Jesus, a lot of that came through him. So he was... Had a unique seat in all that. But he also talks about, in 2 Corinthians, this vision, these visions that he had of heaven. That he got to essentially see heaven and experience that before he died, uh, just before he wrote 2 Corinthians. And he wasn't even allowed to talk about what he saw, but he saw it. Which would be, I don't know what that's like, but it'd be pretty amazing. And he says God was concerned enough about his character... That he was going to let him struggle with something so that he could find weakness. And that's the thorn in the flesh. Now, it's an interesting phrase, thorn in the flesh. Um, the, the word, it's a, it's a word picture, thorn in the flesh. The word translated thorn from the original language of the New Testament Greek 
Uh, that's a good translation, but it's broader than that. I mean, a thorn is an example of what that word is, but it's just a pointy thing. So it could be as small as a splinter or bigger like a thorn or bigger like a, a, you know, like a stake that you hammer into the ground that's pointed or a spear or a javelin. All those things. It's a pointy thing. That if it gets into your flesh, into your body, hurts. And you want to get it out because it's no good leaving it in there. It's just going to get worse and worse. So you, you just want to get it out. And we've all probably experienced that. I, it takes me back to when I was five years old. And this is one of those memories you have as a kid. I just so vivid to me. So I, I remember playing with my brother. We were wrestling in his room. This was, if I was five years old, this was like 1971. So carpet was really carpet back then. Shag carpet, like really big shag carpet. And it hid things like needles. So my brother's 12 is like, was like 12 or 13 years old. I'm five. So we're wrestling and I didn't know there was a needle in the shag carpet and the needle went into my foot and all the way up into my foot where you couldn't even see it. So we didn't know there was a needle in my foot. Um, we just knew my foot hurt and it bled just a little bit, but not much. You know, you're like, you know, whatever it just. And so I, it. I, I don't remember how long I was trying to walk around and I couldn't really walk. And, and eventually we went to the emergency room and the doctor decided to use a scalpel and begin to cut around without anesthesia. And so it hurt. He apologized later. And then they did, uh, a, you know, a, what do you call x-ray and found that there was a needle in there that had broken in two and both were lodged into the bones of my foot and they had to do all this stuff. And I still remember that. I still remember the pain. I still remember, right? And all I want, right, when that happens, all you want is to get it out. And when it comes out, it's a lot better than when it's in. And Paul uses that image of a thorn in the flesh of something that is painful. You can't ignore it. You just think about it all the time because you're in pain. And and he calls it a thorn in the flesh, which is some kind of struggle that caused him to be discouraged and weak and all that. And we don't know. Actually, what it was, we know the word picture, thorn in the flesh, but he doesn't say what the struggle was, which leaves us to speculate that over the centuries of Christianity, since he wrote Second Corinthians and Christians have been reading Second Corinthians, there have been all kinds of speculation about that. Now, one of the big speculations is that it had to do with a physical thing like blindness or near blindness or eye problems, because there's evidence in New Testament books that he wrote that he had eye problems. Like in Galatians, he, he never, he, Paul didn't write his letters. He dictated his letters. Somebody else wrote them. But in, at the end of Galatians, he says, hey, I signed this one myself. Look with what big letters I write. And why did he write with big letters? And as a person who has reading glasses, it has to do that all the time, I understand. But then earlier in Galatians, he says this, you know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial for you, meaning I was, it was hard for me, but a pain for you too. You did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, a messenger of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of our bless, of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. And what he's saying, and so evidently, I mean, why would he say gouge out your eyes and give it to him if he didn't have some ma- massive eye problem? He said, man, if you could, you'd give me your eyes. That's how much you love me and thank you. And that's what he's saying. So we had, we do know he had eye problems and maybe that's it. We don't know. Maybe it's another physical ailment because we, we know at least from tradition, like old history, 
not too far from when he was around. Tradition says that he was kind of hunchbacked, that he was kind of bowled over. That he had massive back problems, which would make sense that he would, because part of the suffering that he had, part of the persecution that he had is he was multiple times beaten with rods. And when he was in by Romans, which was a form of really torture because they beat when they beat you with rods, they beat your back in a way. It was whole, it, the whole design was to crack your vertebrae, break your vertebrae. And back then there was no way to you didn't have back surgeries and all this kind of stuff. So he would certainly have had a lot of pain and a lot. Uh, and you would have had a bad back. So maybe that's it. But maybe it's something else altogether. Like when you read Second Corinthians, you can tell this is a person who struggled emotionally as well. He struggled with depression. Um, he talks about that in the book, how he despised even living like he didn't he didn't. He just emotionally was at a place I just can't go on anymore. So he struggled with depression. He struggled with anxiety. Maybe that's it. He had some relational struggles. Maybe that's it. Uh, we don't know. Um, some people think, in fact, for cent- whole centuries of the church, thought that assumed that when he talked about thorn in the flesh, was talking about not so much physical flesh, but like our sinful flesh, and that it was a sin struggle that he had that he didn't want, and it was this persistent proclivity, this persistent temptation and sin. He talks about that in Romans 7, how that certainly was something that he, like us, he struggled with, and maybe that's it. He just wants God to take it away. We don't know. And I'm glad we don't know. Because if he would have said it, then it would have just limited it to that when people think, oh, yeah, sometimes God does that specifically, as opposed to getting us to think, wait a minute, maybe I have a thorn in the flesh and it won't be Paul's struggle, but maybe I have a struggle that God wants to use in the same way that God has given me for the same purpose. And so I want us to think about that a little bit, to think about and do I have, like, what is my struggle? If I was going to say, what is my thorn in the flesh? That thing that I can't ignore because it hurts and it's painful and it's, and it's a struggle and I wish God would take it away from me and I'm praying God will take it away from me and it's discouraging and chronic and ongoing. And let's think about it a little bit. A friend of mine uh, that I talked about last week, Roland Foreman, who was a mentor, friend, uh, he's a leader in New Zealand, but he... Uh, was on our staff actually for a few years. When I became the lead pastor of Chase Oaks 20 years ago, um, I, I was younger than I am now, about 20 years younger. I, I've done the math. And, uh, and so when I, when, when I did that, I, since I was younger and our staff was younger, I wanted an older leader who could mentor, who could be on our staff and mentor younger leaders and I asked Roland to do that, and he was gracious enough to give me a couple years to do that, our staff. And it was amazing. And other leaders in our church, too, not just staff. And some of you are beneficiaries of that, still are. And he's an amazing guy. Well, he just wrote a book called The Point of Your Thorns. And you can find it on, you know, where you buy Amazon or whatever. And about this passage and about this and finding purpose in pain and, and struggle. And, uh, and also, as another resource, every week... We do a podcast called Postscript. And Postscript, I do it after Friday night or whoever's speaking. Uh, does a- after, fri- after the Friday night service, we do a discussion. It's on the app. You'll find Postscript on the app. Or if you go online where the sermons are, you'll see Postscript. And what that is is a discussion, about a 20-minute discussion, where we take the conversation deeper. And uh, of whatever the topic is that we're talking about. 
And uh, it's a great resource. I encourage you to do it, especially this week, because this week's postscript is a little different. It's not me talking. It's me interviewing Roland about the book and about the concept. And so I, I really and he's he's got such a great accent being from New Zealand. Uh, he sound, if, I don't know if any of you, you know, remember the show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, or, but he sounds like that guy. Uh, and so anyway, he sounds so smart and uh, with the accent, but watch it. But he, one of the things he did in writing the book is he talked to a lot of Christians, just asking them, hey, if you, do you, if you believe you have a thorn in the flesh, what, what is it? Like, like, what would you say your thorn in the flesh is? Your persistent struggle that makes you weak and cling to God in a big way. And, and, uh, and so he asked that. And he called me, and I'm going to go ahead and share it with you. And this is... You may want to get Kleenex uh, as I share my thorn in the flesh or whatever, because it's, it's kind of a big one, um, and I haven't shared it a lot. And, it's, and here's what I told him, is that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, and it's a big problem. Like, I don't know what to do. And I, so I've been praying that God would change that. And uh, I was with some of their leadership not too long ago, and so far not successful in lobbying for that change. But anyway, you know, in heaven, Sundays, I promise you, Chick-fil-A will be open. But... Um, no, okay, I'm saying I'm kidding, okay, but, and some other people gave him some goofy stuff too, but what he did is he, like, he talked to, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred people, and then made categories, and so here's the categories, and I think the categories are helpful as we think, yeah, what, what is that for me? One category is unrelenting illness or chronic pain, and some of you deal with unrelenting illness, and you're praying for healing, and and I hope God heals you, but that's an ongoing struggle or a chronic pain. And it's just always there. Emotional agony is another category. Anxiety, depression, or other forms of emotional struggle. Relational pain, meaning a, a key relationship or key relationships in your life that are broken or cold or sour or just not the way it should be. And it's so painful because you, your heart longs for it to be different, but it's not. Sin and temptation is another category of particular sins and temptations that are just debilitating. And man, I just keep, man, I just, I, I just can't shake this. I can't shake this was another category. And, and as you think about those, as you think about, yeah, what could my struggle be? What could my thorn in the flesh be? What do we do with them? And Paul illustrates it. There's really two godly choices. Once we know what they are, there's really two godly choices with those kind of persistent ongoing struggles and two ways to deal with it, as he does. We just read about it in the passage. The first is pray for God to take the thorn away. And he does. So it's a good thing. I mean, pray, God, I, I don't want to struggle with this. I don't want this thorn in my life. I don't want this illness. I don't want this struggle. I don't want this emotional, whatever it is. God, please take it away from me. And Paul says, hey, this is a messenger from Satan. Like this is something Satan is using to discourage me. God, I don't want to be discouraged. I, I want, please, I want you to take this away from me. And it says he prays three times, pleads with the Lord three times for him to take it away. Now, my guess is, that Paul prayed about God taking it away thousands of times. But three times, knowing his pattern of just his life, that as he reveals it, that there were times that he would have prolonged periods of prayer and fasting where you don't eat during that time of prayer. You focus. My guess what he's talking about with three times, there were three times where he had a prolonged 
like fasting and prayer and for God, please take this away from me. And each time God essentially said no. And on the third time, it was definitive. And God didn't just say no. He said this, 12.9, we just read it. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He said, okay, I'm not going to take this away, but I am going to give you something. I'm not going to take away the thorn, but I'm going to give you something else. And it's better. And that something else is grace. My grace is sufficient. And by grace here, he means divine enablement. He means his presence, his comfort. That him being strong where we are weak. Because God knows how it works, right? He says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Meaning the way we know God's strength and the way his power is made perfect in our life is not when everything's awesome in our life. We just take it for granted. When we know God's power is when we are vulnerable, is when we are weak, is when we are hurting, is when we don't think we can go on. And maybe we can't go on on our own. We're not self-sufficient. And all of us know that. I mean, we can look back at our life and if you think, well, if, if you're a Christian especially and think, man, when are, when are the times I've grown the most? And my guess is it's the most difficult times in your life. If you cling to God and he meets you there and you grow and, and you may not want to repeat that time, but you wouldn't also want to take it away because of what God did in your life. Because here's a, a really difficult reality of how spirituality works. And that is, here's the principle, is that weakness and vulnerability are the only ways to see and experience God's power. Weakness and vulnerability are the only ways to see and experience God's power. And that's really tough for us, especially us. And when I say us, I mean people who live in North Dallas. And if you're online, probably wherever you live too, unless you're in some impoverished part of the world. Because in a place like North Dallas, we, we have the privilege of constructing life to try to make it as much as possible where we're in control and where we're bulletproof and we're good. And, and here's what I mean. And, and there's some wisdom in this. This isn't all bad, what I'm about to say. There's even biblical wisdom in some of this. But, but the way North Dallas life works is you, right, we, when we start, when we're kids, we train our kids, right, to go to school and to do well and to, you know, we teach them how to be you know, decent human beings and, and, uh, and then get to some kind of school where they can, you know, get, you know, you know, hopefully a good school and, and, and then go get a job and work hard in that job and network relationships and get promoted and, and then manage money well and manage money well enough where over time able to build some amount of wealth so that when there are downturns, you're fine. And then maybe ultimately the thing <clears throat> You know, it's to get to a place where you're so successful that you've got enough that even if you had a massive downturn, you'd be fine. And, and you could retire if you want to. You don't have to, but you can. It's kind of your choice. And to get to that, I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in getting to that. And that's great when people can get to that. So I'm not shaming that. But it does come with a big downside. And the big downside is... The whole point is getting to a place where we don't experience weakness and vulnerability, where we feel self-reliant and self-dependent. And that's why when we travel to, if you, that's why go, one of the reasons going on mission trips is a great thing to do. 
where, and, and we do them and, and go on one. Because as you, especially around Christians in impoverished areas, you'll be around Christians who, I mean, 95% of the world can't do what I just said. And so when you go and you're in impoverished parts of the world and you meet these Christians, they, are so, they have faith that is so much freer and more full that God can do anything. And they have a connection with God that is just different because they live day to day and they trust God day to day. And some of you do too, but they certainly do. And they have to, they don't have a choice. And they know God in a way that's just different and rich and significant because God's power is made perfect in weakness and weakness and vulnerability and I think when Paul was talking about, hey, God doesn't want me to be conceited because of all that. Another way to say conceited is self-reliant, self-dependent. And I don't believe God wants us in, in this culture to be self-dependent. It's just another form of arrogance. But he wants us to know him as our provider and sustainer and our everything. And so that means sometimes God will love us enough to let life hurt. To experience weakness in a way that we have to cry out to him. And we have to reach out to him. One of these thorns in the flesh, just like Paul received. And it's not because God doesn't love us, it's because he does. And there's nothing wrong with praying. In fact, there's everything right in praying for God to take it away. Paul did. And maybe he will. But an even more profound choice is the second choice, and that is embrace the thorn as a gift. Paul calls it that, a gift. And he came to see it as a gift. Because again, it's the only way God's strength is perfected in us is not in our strength, but in our weakness. And, and there's different ways to know weakness. Take big steps of faith, where you are uncomfortable, you know weakness. Uh, stepping out when God says step out and you're scared, that's... But also times of suffering and these thorns in the flesh and struggles that we have are a gift if what you want is a rich and meaningful and significant relationship with God. Because his strength is perfected in weakness. And Paul got to that. And that's why he says, he exclaims, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Now, think about that. He just talked about his revelations. He could have boasted about that. He could have said, guys, you think God shows you stuff? Nothing compared to me. I'm Paul. I wrote most of the New Testament. Most books of the New Testament. Luke actually technically edged him out word by word, but that's another thing. But, but I, I, you know, I'm Paul. I look at all, but he doesn't boast about his accomplishments. He boasts about his weaknesses, his struggles. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's like, you know what? Bring it on. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Because weakness and vulnerability are what allow us to experience the power of God. And there's just no other way. And some of you are suffering. Some of you have an ongoing chronic thorn in the flesh. And pray for God to take it away. But until he does, embrace it as a gift. And appropriate God's grace. And that's not automatic. That takes some intentionality to say, God, I need your grace. And to give a picture of that, um, other than Paul, I'll give you another picture. And it's a lady 
that if you've been a Christian for a long time, you may know this name. Joni Erickson Tata is her name. She's still around. But Joni Erickson Tata is, uh, is well known in Christian circles because she's had a lot of impact. But the way her story started is as a young girl, like teenage girl, college age girl, she dove into Chesapeake Bay not knowing how shallow it was where she was. And she broke her neck. And she became paralyzed instantly from the shoulders down. Couldn't do anything for herself. She's quadriplegic. She's in the hospital, despondent, of course, discouraged, even suicidal, even though she could only think about it because she couldn't do anything. Just that discouraged. And in that weakness, sinking as low as a person can sink, she found Jesus. In a way that she never would have found him. And she prayed for God to heal her. Because wouldn't that be a great story, right? Heals a quadriplegic and, and now look what I can do because I can walk and do stuff and all that. Look what I can do for you. But she realized over time that God would be able to do more for her, more in her life and through her life in her weakness than in her healing. And he has. She's written over 30 books. How does a quadriplegic write a book? She's written over 30 books that have blessed millions of people. She's an artist. Uh, She puts the brush in her mouth. And her art is out there and has influenced the world through her art. She started an organization called Joni and Friends that focuses on those with uh, people with all kinds of disabilities and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been blessed and have come to know Jesus and have hope in their life and purpose in their life and their in their uh, in, in their disability because of her I mean, it's pretty incredible and yet it hadn't come easy for her it's a daily struggle and that's what I want us to understand she talks about it one time when she uh, she writes about this she was at a, a women's conference and she was speaking. She go, she's in the ladies' room, ladies' restroom. And there's different people there. It's during a break. And this well-meaning lady comes up to her and says, Oh, Joni, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. Several women around nodded. Yes, how do you do it? They asked. And here's what she said. I don't do it. Let me tell you how it works. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door at 7 a.m. open. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, dress me, sit me up in a chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I do not have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't even have a smile to take into the day. But you do, Lord. May I have your smile. God, I need you desperately. One of the ladies asked, so what happens then when your friend comes to the bedroom door? She said, I turn my head toward her and give her a smile sent straight from heaven. Because it's not mine. It's God's. And so she said, gesturing to her paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was very hard won this morning. A daily choice to find strength and weakness. And in that struggle, profound things happen. 
And so we're going to go to God in prayer because all of us struggle. And some of you could say, I do have an ongoing kind of thorn in the flesh kind of thing. In addition to general suffering in this world. And I wish God would take it away. You know what? Pray that God will take it away. It could be a relational thing, an emotional thing, a physical thing, a sin thing. I don't know what it is. But you say, God, just take that away. I don't want that temptation anymore. I don't want that pain anymore. I want the relationship to be better, perfect. And pray for that. But in the meantime, what, if, what would it look like as we pray to embrace the struggle as a gift? To say, God, in that weakness, I have to know your strength. And that's when the most profound things happen because his, his power is perfected in our weakness. And I think when we get to heaven, we'll look back and tell stories just like Paul learned to boast about his weaknesses, not his successes. Then when we get to heaven... You know, you might think we'd be like, oh man, what did God, what, what successful thing, what wonderful things did God do in, in you? Like, you know, when you were serving God on the planet and you were on the earth and all, I think what we'll be talking about is, hey, what kind of, what kind of difficulties, struggles did God bless you with? I mean, that, that God loved you so much that he allowed for you to, he, 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 he allowed you to struggle with that and was your strength. I just think we'll have a very different perspective. So let's go to God for perspective. Let's pray together. And I'm going to invite you just, again, in prayer, just to, prayer, just talking to God. And so just talk to God in your own words. And, and you may just say to him, God, I, 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 you know my struggle. And maybe just name it, even though he knows it. Just say, God, you know what it is. And God, I do. I plead with you, just like Paul did, to take it away from me. I don't want it. And I pray that you will. But until you do, God, help me embrace it as an opportunity, as a gift. Maybe not the kind of gift I choose, but a gift to get what is way better than just being comfortable or everything being perfect. And Lord, would you be strong where I'm weak? And would you draw me to yourself? Give me your smile. Give me your strength. Give me the strength of your presence and transformation. Father, on behalf of all of us, I thank you that you never leave us alone, including in our pain. And there's always your desire to work purpose in our pain and in our struggle. Thank you for that. We ask that you'll do it. In Jesus' name, amen.